When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. is meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Psychologically Minded. My name is Grace Fowler, and today we are doing a mini episode all about the Barnum Effect. So as you know, the mini episodes that I do on this channel are focused on cognitive biases, the original studies, and kind of what they mean for us in the here and now. And the Barnum effect actually is a perfect one on the heels of the Pride and Prejudice episode that just came out, because in that we briefly talked about birth order and how people can have a tendency to believe these kind of generic descriptions about themselves, whether it's birth order, astrology, the zodiac, like whatever type of generic personality description that people are given, they can have a tendency to believe it, even if it's not at all specific to what they are. And that's, in in essence, the Barnum effect. The official definition is a tendency to believe that vague predictions or general personality descriptions, such as those offered by astrology, have specific applications to oneself. And this uh, cognitive bias comes out of research done by Bertram Forer, in the 1940s and work by Paul Meal in the 1950s. And the reason why this cognitive bias is called the Barnum effect is that uh, Paul Meal named it after P.T. Barnum, who was like a famous circus man in the U.S., uh, who had a well-known catchphrase where he said, there's a sucker born every minute. And so Meal named this cognitive bias the Barnum effect because he was in essence saying that we are all suckers because of this cognitive bias and we will believe pretty much anything (laughs) that we're told. It's a little harsh, I know, and so I'm going to try to explain it a little more in detail and, you know, As always with the cognitive biases, I do remind all the listeners that these are things that we have discovered that are pretty universal, not, you know, not necessarily that everybody does them, but that they are like pretty well represented uh, and more attributable to just like the way that the brain is organized and the way that we have survived for millennia uh, and, and that these cognitive biases are in fact ways that our brains have adapted to humanity, like to being human. Uh, And so rather than framing it as like, there's a sucker born every minute, it's more like, this is something that happens to all of us. um, And it's just important to learn about and I think fun to learn about the history of it. So let's talk about some of the original work. So like I mentioned, Bertram Forer was the first psychologist to kind of name this effect. Well, he named it after himself. So he originally named it the Forer effect. Um, And it came from the study that he designed. that was looking at how 
people will react to a personality test. So in this experiment, he had his like lab of psychology students. I think there was like 30 of them. He gave them each a personality test, asked them to complete the whole thing and told them that it would generate a brief vignette that would describe their personality type after he compiled the results. Then the students were asked to rate how accurate the vignette was to them and their personality and how well it applied. And before I tell you what the vignette was, um, they rated the students rated the vignettes on an average of 4.3 out of 5, with 5 being the most accurate. So the students perceived the vignettes to be very accurate to their personalities. Now, you may be expecting this, but the twist was that every student got the exact same generic vignette that four actually created from an astrology book. So it was not individualized. It had absolutely nothing to do with the personality test that they took. It was a pre-written, predetermined generic vignette that every single student got. Examples of some of the statements that were in the vignette were included things like, at times you are extroverted, affable, sociable, while at other times you are introverted, wary, reserved. You have a great deal of unused capacity, which you have not turned to your advantage. You pride yourself as an independent thinker and do not accept other statements without satisfactory proof. So in essence, they were like fortune cookies, like fortunes you get out of a fortune cookie, or like Four did actually pull them from an astrology book. And you can see how they're pretty generic and that I could probably say any one of those statements to any one of you listening and you might find it applicable to yourself. And that's what Four discovered in his experiment was that the students identified with the vignette even though they were all reading the exact same generic statements. I mean, the first one literally says you are extroverted, but you also are introverted. It's not making a definitive statement about the person's personality at all. Several years later, after Four had published the results of this study and had named the effect, uh, Paul Mule began to write a lot about this, and this was when he coined the term Barnum effect and associated the cognitive bias with the circus man. Meal wrote a pretty famous article called Wanted, a Good Cookbook, where he talks about how it may be a waste of time for the field of psychology to focus on personality assessment because of this Barnum effect. And I have to read this quote from Meal's article because he goes pretty hard against personality assessment. He says, I suggest, and I am quite serious, that we adopt the phrase Barnum effect to stigmatize those pseudo-successful clinical procedures in which personality descriptions from tests are made to fit the patient largely or wholly by virtue of their triviality, and in which any non-trivial but perhaps erroneous inferences are hidden in a context of assertions or denials which carry high confidence simply because of the population base rates regardless of the test validity. So I'm sure all of you are having the same reaction I did when I first read that quote, which was like, what is he saying? <laughs> but essentially what Meal is saying is that there is a branch of psychology where we focus on what's often called psychodiagnostic assessment. So we use these types of psychological tests to help people understand what's going on with them and usually generate some sort of diagnosis, whether it's of a mood disorder, a psychotic disorder, or personality disorder. And a subtype of psychodiagnostic assessment is personality assessment. I admit that I am trained, not I admit, I, I am trained in uh, this type of assessment. I have quite a bit of experience with different types of personality assessment. Um, and I would say that in this era of like when I took my training, it's a lot more empirically based. So personality assessment is based on 
measures that have been used over and over again have been normed on various samples. And these tests are used all the time for things like uh, in forensic psychology, they're used to help determine if someone should be a law enforcement officer or not. They're helped to determine like what can be entered into evidence or like what kind of profile a person has in a criminal or civil proceeding. These tests can be used to help diagnose things like personality disorders uh, or just like create a better clinical picture of a, a patient who's going through the testing. Now, at the time that Meal was writing this, personality testing was maybe not as empirical and did rely a lot on more projective or um, types of tests that uh, didn't wouldn't hold up to sort of the rigorous empirical standards that we have these days. And if you think about the context of the field in the 1950s, like people were doing whatever they wanted, like. This was when Milgram was doing his experiments. This is like right before the Stanford prison experiment. Like Skinner was doing whatever he wanted to rats and pigeons. This is what I call the era, the spaghetti on the wall era of psychology, where people were just throwing stuff and seeing what stuck. Especially in the U.S., where the U.S. was in a a period where new theories were coming up. Um, we had long since moved away from Freud and there was sort of like, um, this void in post-World War II, there was this, this like, we need to figure out how people work. We need to understand what has happened, um, that this war, this world war could have come to be. And so a lot of like kind of weird stuff comes out of psychology in this era, which is super fun to learn about. Um, but also important to understand that we don't do all of these things still today, right? Like we have learned and grown as a field from where we were in the 1950s. So Meal, I, I think that context is important is Meal is writing at a time where it's spaghetti against the wall. Like people are really out there with what they're trying to figure out about how to understand people. Personality assessment is a very subjective field at this time, mostly projective assessments that are making inferences about a person's sort of whole way of ordering themselves and their worldview off of very subjective data. And what Meal is saying in this quote specifically is that people who were doing personality testing were doing the spaghetti against the wall and it seems like a waste of time because if this Barnum effect exists and all it requires is for the person to read a generic personality description, then we don't need to do individual testing for people uh, or or go through the work of interpreting their data. And that's where this the, content, the concept of the cookbook comes from that his article is named after. He suggests that what we should do is, let's say I give, I'm giving a personality test and it's possible for there to be 16 distinct profiles that come out of this personality test. So rather than every time I give the test, I interpret each person's results independently and, you know, come up with their own individual interpretation. All I have to do is say, well, you're most like profile number three. I go to my cookbook, (laughs) I open it, copy and paste the description of profile number three and give it to the person and say, there, does that help you make sense of yourself? 
Meal actually goes on to spend a lot of time in this article talking about how then we can outsource the interpretation of personality assessments to uh, essentially low-paid clerks who can just open this cookbook and flip back and forth and read patients what their results are, rather than having psychologists spending the time to interpret the results of their test. It's very classist if you read the whole article, which is... Um, sourced on the website it's it's like very classist and he's he goes really hard on like you could give this job to someone who has like no skills like this could be an uneducated person who only has to like open a book and like type in or type out a letter with the person's um personality profile uh he spends a lot of time on that which is not great (laughs) i will say that um but it is i think very indicative of his of the time that he was in Meal is then goes on to make the point of, well, we could be saving a lot of time if psychologists were not working on all this interpretation of this personality data, and they could go back to focusing on therapy or research. And he gives a little caveat of like, well, I guess then you could do more research on personality assessments to make them more uh, like individualized or, or valid. Um, but he's like basically saying psychologists should not be doing this type of assessment. You should just, if you are going to do it, you give the test and then have like essentially a binder where you go and open the profile and give it to the person because of the Barnum effect, they will just believe it and feel that it is an individualized um, like description of their personality. Now, in my personal opinion, I think that Meal's approach here is quite jaded and may have a lot to do with how new the field was at the time and that personality assessment itself was coming into being and was more focused on subjective data. Um, But I think now looking back on his work as the field has grown to encompass so much of this personality assessment, some of which is still subjective, but a lot of which has become more empirical or objective based, it feels quite condescending, Mule's article. Uh, he's he's talking down um, to psychologists and saying like, well, you should be better served to do this other type of work. And quite honestly, talking down to like people who do the type of like administrative or office work that we need to make this society go around, right? He's saying like, you should be paid very little money because all you do is open a book. And that's like not a great, that does not put a good taste in my mouth. Um, but this is the the or origin of when this effect was called the Barnum effect. And you can see how Meal is connecting P.T. Barnum, who is known for being a bit of a con man, <laughs> for pulling scams like faking mermaids by sewing a monkey and a fish together and like faking phenomenon for the purpose of getting money from people. He's conflating that with this personality assessment, which he sees as tricking people out of their money because we could just give them uh whatever like paragraph about a a personality type and that they would people would feel satisfied with that and there's not much use to the the assessment so i can see it also from a perspective of meal trying to protect people and saying like let's not con people out of this if they will believe what we give them then let's not charge them more money for something that we're going to give them that's very generic um now i will say that current day personality assessment is is very thorough, is very personalized, and is more than just looking at how, like what scores turn out of your test. Like we're integrating information from your history, other tests, 
collateral reports, like what you tell us in the room, like we're integrating all of this information together. And it isn't just a like, here's your horoscope for the day, uh, print it out. And, and that's what your personality is. That's just my little caveat because uh, I do think that personality assessment can be um, effective. But I think the Barnum effects comes more into play in modern day with um, some of these like online personality quizzes that you may find that promise to be very insightful, uh, but may not necessarily be. So that leads me to how does the Barnum effect impact people like you and me? Um, The Barnum effect is pretty much the reason why psychics seem to be relatable and why cold readings seem to work. So a cold reading if, if you're not familiar with it, is where someone who's claiming to be psychic um, makes a series of calculated guesses about a person's background and problems, and then using the person's reaction, elaborates on a reading that seems more unique to the client or the person they're, they're reading, so that it seems like it came out of nowhere. So if you've ever seen a psychic in action, you'll notice that they start very generic. So they may start with like, I'm sensing a woman with um, many children. Well, many is not specific. And so someone who has maybe three siblings could say like, oh, that sounds like my mom or my or my grandma. And so they start very generic with that. And then someone... so. The psychic throws that out. Someone responds with like, oh, yeah, my my mom had five children. So now you've offered up more information. And so the psychic can go, mm, yes, it's coming through a woman with five children. Um, you know, some of them are boys. Some of them are girls. And then the person go, oh, yeah, I have a sister. Uh, uh, but w- the rest of us are boys. But wait, I have a sister. Okay, now the psychic has more information and it just builds and builds from there. So they start really, really generic. Um, I've seen like videos of psychics doing cold readings where they literally just say like a letter. They'll be like, oh, it's coming through an a D, a D, a D. Literally so much starts with a D, right? Like dad, dead, somebody's name. There could be lots of names, dog. Like they're they're keeping it really generic. And then they're going to respond to the person that's like, oh, my mother's name is Dina. They're going to respond to that person and ignore anyone else who's like skeptical or not reacting because the person who volunteers extra information is going to keep going along with the psychic. And that's the Barnum effect in action, right? The person responding to the psychic now is perceiving that as a reading very specific to them, even though it's incredibly possible that 30 other people in the room also had something to do with the letter D, right? Everybody, like, a lot of people could be like, oh, dad, <laughs> like, or, you know, ev- a lot of people have dogs. So it's perceived by the person who's reacting to the psychic as very individualized, even though it can apply to many people in the room. And if you've ever seen a cold reading like go all the way to the end, it typically still ends with a pretty generic thing of like, oh, you're so-and-so, your significant other who passed away wants you to know that they love you and they're looking out for you. And that sounds very nice. And most likely what we would expect a loved one who's passed away to say about us, right? If a psychic was like, oh yeah, your sister is coming through and she's saying she hates you and uh, is actively sending ghosts to come after you, like that's 
not believable and not comforting. So we're we're drawn to this interaction because the psychic is saying also what we are wanting to hear. We are wanting to hear that the loved one has something very comforting to say to us or that would uh, mirror what they might have said to us in real life. So the the Barnum effect is what makes us think that's that it's individualized and then the fact that it's like typically a, a heartwarming message makes it more palatable. Horoscopes are the same way with Barnum effects. It'll be a pretty like generic description. Like for example, my horoscope for today says, and this is just from a random website, uh, mine says, it isn't easy to think in terms of the big picture. You prefer specifics. Keep an open mind and seemingly incongruous pieces fall into place. What, do, what does that mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, it is hard for people to think in terms of big picture. And we actually do have psychological research to back that up, that setting small, specific, measurable goals to reach a larger overarching goal is much easier. It's hard to always have your big goal in mind. Uh, but that's not what this is saying, right? This horoscope is just saying like, you like details and is hoping that enough people who read this uh, are going to feel connected to it and so feel that it describes them. And I'm not going to tell you what my sign is because it doesn't matter, right? Because it could say, this horoscope from my sign today and it could say it for your sign tomorrow and we would still relate to it in the same way because of the Barnum effect. It's the same thing for things like BuzzFeed quizzes where it's like which Harry Potter character are you Um, or any like of the personality things that you may find online like the Enneagram or uh, certain versions of the Myers-Briggs like Yes, it is useful information to learn about different types of personalities. And I don't think there's anything wrong with learning about introversion versus extroversion or feeling versus judging and figuring out how you adapt to that uh, or how that plays a role in your own personality. I'm not saying like you can never do these things again because they're bad for you. Uh, What I am wanting to point out, though, is that the Barnum effect colors the way in which we interpret these personality or horoscope astrology things. It makes it is easy for our brain to focus on these things being uh, only true for us. And we kind of lose sight of it's possible for this to be true for, for many people, that, that multiple people could be looking at the same thing and having the same experience that I'm having, right? We're not, we're not good at doing that. And Our brains have developed to be very egocentric for a reason because that's how you survive, right? Is if you are able to focus on yourself and (laughs) figure out how things are going to be useful or dangerous to you. So that's, I think, where the Barnum effect, how it's related to our brain development or and the way that like human brains specifically have developed is it's like survival, right? We have to focus on how things relate to us. And it doesn't behoove our brain from a survival standpoint to think about other people, how other people are responding to the same stimulus. Um, But all of that to say, like, I think it's really an interesting personality tests or horoscopes and astrology can be really interesting ways to learn about yourself. Uh, But I think having the awareness of my brain is perceiving this to be individualized to me can help you to integrate it into your understanding of yourself in a more realistic way and less of a reliance on this thing to tell me what to do, right? Your horoscope can't predict your future. Uh, Your personality type can't predict how you're going to react in every situation. It can give you more information to prepare yourself 
so that you have an arsenal of tools. Um, but it's not like the end all be all. And I don't want to say like never read your horoscope again. I think it can be fun. I have lots of friends who read their horoscopes and get a lot of good out of it and feel supported and uh, maybe feel more prepared for the day. But it's just still good to know that the Barnum effect is real and that this is kind of the effect that it has on us and on our brains. Um, And I think when it can get dangerous is when people can get sucked into scams because of the Barnum effect, which is really why it was originally named that because P.T. Barnum was scamming. And so if somebody is coming to you and telling you that they have very specific information about loved ones who have passed away or uh, that they can see into your future, um, this may be a good time to remind yourself of the Barnum effect and that it could be possible that this person is really just telling me very generic information and trying to get something from me by relying on the fact that I, I could tend to believe it to be true for myself. So that's where I think it can be wary, right? There's a big difference between reading your daily horoscope online and uh, having someone attempt to manipulate you with specific or generic information about your specific loss or experience. So as always, everything is a spectrum. Um, and I think that this is just an extra piece of knowledge to help you when you get to st- when you're in a situation that's closer to the scam end of the spectrum. Um, but that kind of wraps it up. This is a quick one. It is a mini episode. Uh, I think this cognitive bias is kind of fun and it's interesting to talk about horoscopes. Feel free to shoot an email or a DM if you have any questions or anything that you want to add to this conversation about the Barnum effect. Um, But otherwise, I just want to say thank you for listening through to the whole episode and I will see you in the next one. Bye-bye. To see the sources and resources mentioned in the episode, visit psychologicallymindedpod.com or click the link in the show notes. To contact me with any questions or comments about this topic or upcoming episodes, email me at psychmindedpod at gmail.com. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you and see you in the next episode.